Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Uh, well, I am going to talk about, um, you know, last week was hard. This week is equally hard. A passage that, it's only two verses, easy to kind of know the point of it. We're going to talk about divorce. Um, and I have a lot of content that I want to get through because when you talk about something of great weight, I think you have, to, uh, you have to be very particular about the medium and the presentation of what you're talking about. So this is one of those instances. Uh, but to start, if you guys like statistics, I like statistics. I think they help me like, grasp the weight of things. And so I'm going to read some statistics about divorce to kind of give you a framework. Uh, and you've maybe heard this, but most studies argue that about 40-50% per- of first marriages end in divorce, so about half. The numbers between the secular world and the Christian world are actually very similar. There's really no difference, so we don't see a difference in the Christian world. Second marriages, so if you'd have been married before, second marriages around 67% end in divorce rates, so about two and th- two, two-thirds. And then third marriages are a 75% chance of ending in divorce. Um, now, this is, these are statistics that are pretty well accurate compared to other, like a bunch of other different organizations do statistics. They all range in that area. But uh, in terms of kind of legislation, which I don't know if you guys know a lot about, like the laws of divorce and marriage and all that, in 1960, which is about 60 years ago, that was when we first passed what was known as no-fault divorce which means that you can basically get a divorce for any reason. There's no, like, there's no reason that would stop you from getting divorced. Uh, there are only three states in America currently that have what is called a covenant marriage. Uh, one of them actually is in Arizona, where I was a youth pastor. And the covenant marriage is actually, uh, it's not no fault. You actually have to go through levels of counseling. You have to have people sign off on why you're getting divorced and if it's an appropriate situation. And there's only three states out of the 50 who have that, and it's completely optional. And only about a half percent of people get that. So uh, so basically, in America, you can get divorced for any reason you want uh, in any idea. And uh, some of the statistics that they found, and the, probably the most staggering one, is that you know, we think a lot about when we th- talk about divorce, we think about the families. We think about the kids and the family structure. And uh, they found out that children with parents who divorce are four times more likely to be prone to abuse, poverty, and imprisonment. Four times more likely. Um, and most of us, when we talk about divorce, we're a pretty young church, uh, you know, hopefully most of us are not in the brinks of divorce, but we are very much aware of divorce, whether it was with our own parents, friends of ours, grandparents. Divorce is just incredibly common in our uh, family. In fact, when we do um, some of the leadership stuff I do, we talk about, like, our family of origin, and you kind of track the, the generations before you and maybe some of their sins and the things that have carried on to you. And it's very rare to see a family tree, maybe three generations that doesn't have divorce in it. Very rare. And uh, so we all have experienced the weight of it, whether we even know it or not. In fact, I would say sometimes you don't even realize the weight of your, maybe your parents' divorce until you're married, and then you realize, oh, wow, like the weight of that is now such, it's crushing me because I'm feeling the, the culture of marriage and, and what may have been um, part of that. In fact, if you guys know Sarah at all, um, my wife, she, she had been through a previous divorce, and uh, it has caused the amount of difficulty that it has caused, not only in that time, in that season of her life, um, but even in our marriage now, I mean, it still is something that we deal with and have to battle through. And so I, I have been the recipient of knowing the weight of this, and that's why I think this passage is just really hard, because you understand the weight of it, 
Um, and you also understand there's this covering of shame, of condemnation, of judgment surrounding divorce. Nobody says the word divorce and feels good about it. Uh, same with sexual desire. We talked about adultery, sexual desire last week. Nobody, nobody really says that, that phrase for fun. And if we do, we, we usually put our heads down and we don't make eye contact, right? When you talk about pornography, you very rarely have someone looking you in the eyes. Uh, and so we know there's a ton of shame and guilt uh, driven around this conversation but, but on the flip side, the great weight, guilt, shame we feel of divorce is because I think that on the flip side, marriage is one of the most beautiful unifying practices, symbols, promises that we have as, as, a, as believers. And so there's this kind of great power, great responsibility. It has the ability to flourish in such a powerful way in the world, but it also has the ability to, to, to um, just be a detriment in such heavy burdens with not only the couple, but the family as well. Um, and so I, I think about this, and, and, and I think about, like, how can I kind of prove this to you, this idea that, like, marriage is, if you are married, is, is incredibly important if maybe you're not married or um, you're single or maybe you don't know if you're going to get married. I, I like to think about it like this. Like, in your life, think about the people who you know that are married. Maybe they have kids, maybe they don't. Think about the people who you're like, man, I just, like, love their marriage. I don't know. There's something about them. I just love them. I started to think about some of the marriages that I really respect, and maybe the dads. Like the, obviously, I'm always looking at dads and seeing how I can be a better dad. And I think about it, I I have rarely in my experience, and maybe yours, I don't know, I have rarely ever met a great dad that's a terrible husband. Very rarely, a great dad that's a terrible husband. I think the two are actually really synonymous in terms of loving your family well, loving your wife well, and loving your kids well, and vice versa for wives as well. But I think about that, and I think the the ability in in divorce and marriage not only affects you know you the potential of your family or it, it spreads outside of you just like sexual desire last week it is something that does not just affect you satan lies and tells you to just keep it inside and you absorb it but it affects everyone around you in the way that you love people and the way that you feel about people even ryan i mean in his story was a testament to that as well and so as we're talking about this this is uh we're going through the book of matthew uh if you've been with us we're going to be in it forever and uh we're in chapter five we're going through Jesus' big culmination of he's given this sermon and he's just, he's drawing people into him. And he's, he's basically creating, he's building like Legos. He's building this beautiful kingdom that is just so foreign to what we know. In fact, it's almost as if they've taken what everyone knows and he's turned it completely upside down. He's building this kingdom and he's saying, hey, here's all the people who are welcome in this. And all the people who are listening are typically kind of included on this list. And then he says, here's what this kingdom is about. And he takes on what they had known in the, in the previous hundreds of years as Jewish people, understanding the laws, the things that God had given them. And he says, here's your kingdom and what you're building, and you got to pick. You can't put your kingdom in my kingdom. You can't live in both. You can't have one foot in each one. And so he takes basically these six pieces that have been just distorted, perverted, abused, that were intentionally good laws that were just being manipulated by the Jewish people. And he's saying, here's how this actually looks in my kingdom. And so when he says... Uh, in, in verse 31, he says, you've heard it said. Some, some versions say, um, you know, you know this. And it's basically him saying, here's what you've known, the law that you've understood. And he's going to draw us into something much different. The problem is, is that in all actuality, Jesus is like really not, he's not holding back any punches. Like he's not being like, it's okay. Like, let me just kind of water this down for you. He's being incredibly direct. And honestly, if you just went up here and said what he said and you just left it, there would be an immense amount of tension in the room. Be like, what? Is he going to give some caveats? Is he going to like explain? I mean, he just drops these bombs. And I think it's because we read these six, these six different things in Matthew 5. And it's because he, we want him to actually be not holding any punches. 
Because what it realizes is that the kingdom that he's building is not a soft, shallow, weak kingdom. It's a kingdom that has value, that's beautiful, and that, that has structure. In fact, I think about the security of it, and I think, man, just think about if marriages in the Christian world were just looked and viewed upon as just a sign and a wonder to the world. That, like, people could feel and see Jesus' love through the way that marriages in the Christian world love each other. I mean, think about the families, think about the kids that you'd raise, think about the marriages that you'd have, think about the selflessness that you yourself would start to learn and embody and engage with and how that literally could change the world. You might want to go heal people of back injuries and knee injuries. If you're actually just a great husband or wife, I think that can have the same effect. The, the generational sin that we deal with, the divorce that we see, the broken families are just a, a massive, massive destruction in our world. And if we took marriage as serious as Jesus actually did, I think we'd change the world. And so why, this is why he's confronting it, because why would he not confront one of the most important, beautiful things that he gives us as a symbol of his love in the Bible? And so before we talk about divorce, I want to talk about marriage. I feel like you've got to talk about marriage, because marriage is the precursor to divorce, unfortunately. Um, and, and marriage we know, just to give you a quick brief history, if you're any, any historians in here. Marriage we know, and as, as the biblical sense, starts in the first two pages of your Bible. So if you flip the hoi to the front, you see marriage. God creates man and woman, and they are to become one flesh. And one of my favorite verses, if you ever do premarital counseling with me, is um, talking about, just after this verse, he says that they were naked and they were not ashamed. It's my, one of my favorite verses. And people are like, that's weird. And I'm like, it's not weird because that is the culmination of the creation narrative, is God creating this world, he creating creation out of himself in the image of God, right? And then him, him seeing them flourish in completely unadulterated intimacy with absolutely no insecurity, no bondage, no guilt, it's hard to even fathom that in a world today. And in marriage, that's kind of your goal. Like, you want to get to that point where you can be naked physically, spiritually, whatever, and not feel that. And that's the beauty that we see in the way that God created it. Shortly after that, though, all of a sudden, we have men in the Bible taking multiple wives and practicing polygamy, which a lot of people have questions about. I don't have a ton of time to talk about that, but I will try to be quick with it. Um, and in this, we see people being, in the Bible, this is what we call a descriptive, not prescriptive reading, which means that they are describing what's happening. The Bible is not condoning this. So it's very important to understand that. But after that, we see a blending of different cultures and tribes, right? They're like dealing with all these different people. And, and then centuries later, marriage becomes common in the Roman and the Greek cultures, which we kind of know a lot about. We have a lot of culture that's in us from that. Up until the point where uh, the Roman Catholic Church became a powerful institution in Europe, and they actually turned marriage into a sacrament. A sacrament is essentially it's a ceremony that bestows God's grace, meaning marriage is a way to experience God's grace. It has this like spiritual mindset to it, and they added it basically to the Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church, after it had been culturally normal in countries and things like that, the Catholic Church takes it and kind of re-Christianizes it, if you will. And then from there, marriage was this covenant and a vow given before God. And it's only in the past few decades that in this postmodern, post-Christian world that we've started to, to move away from the Christian aspect of marriage. When marriage was instituted even in America and the laws behind it, um, it was faith-based in the thinking. Like, everybody was culturally a Christian, right? And so there wasn't this push against it. Now we're seeing culture kind of hijack it. Uh, and in some ways, you have to really define, like, what do I mean when I say marriage? If I'm not a Christian, it looks entirely different than uh, a Christian marriage. In fact, Stephanie Kuntz, who's a uh, so so sociologist, she says this, and it's just simple. She says, within the past 40 years, marriage has changed more than in the last 5,000. Just think about that. 40 years has changed more than in the last 5,000. So pretty much all the history books we read, 
Marriage is entirely different than what we're experiencing right now. So talk about a time where, like, we want to talk about what is marriage? Wow. You know, we have, like, it's been, it's been completely changed. Now, this is important because the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of Jesus' um, and God's institution of marriage is that it doesn't change regardless of the culture. So we get to see the same biblical truths and values that Jesus talks about, and we get to embody those today. That's relieving because trying to navigate all of this in the midst of today with our culture would be honestly overwhelming. It would be seriously overwhelming. And so I want to I do a quick whiteboard thing here. Um, I want to give you like my three-minute explanation of marriage so we know this going into divorce because you have to understand it in order to understand why Jesus is so uh, against divorce here. So when we talk about Jesus and we talk about salvation, meaning we're saved from our sin, Jesus saves us. We have this relationship between Jesus and, let's just say, um, us, follow, people who follow Jesus. Now, in the Old Testament, if you've read that, there wasn't, there wasn't Jesus. In fact, what there was was there's several different covenants. Now, I'm going to go through them really quickly. In these covenants, typically what, it, what stipulated uh, was from Abraham and then David was, hey, God was saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful and bless you and love you, but you're, you know, you're going to have to follow me, follow me, obey my laws, and atone, atone for your sin, making it right before me. And so this is the relationship we see. We receive salvation and right standing with God through the things that we do and the way that God loves us. This doesn't take very long. In the entire Old Testament, we fail pretty hard. It's a pretty miserable attempt. And so God decides, you know what? I'm going to create a relationship for salvation through Jesus where it's entirely one-sided. In fact, instead of going 50-50 or 100-100, if you will, I'm going to go 100%, and it's, not going to, it's, not going, to be, it's going to be irregardless of, how, of what we do. And this is what separates us from several other world religions is there's still something you have to do to achieve the right status. Jesus says, I'm taking it all. This is what we believe, and this is the good news. This is the gospel, is that we, don't have to, we, we, we get to receive and accept this gift that's given to us. Now, marriage, when you read it, specifically in the New Testament with Paul, you're seeing a very similar thing. You're seeing this marriage, and it's called a covenant. Sorry if my handwriting's not good. And you see a man, men and women, singular, by the way. I don't know. I'm plural for the generality. But man and woman, they get married, okay? And in the same way, they are called to love one another in this commitment. That's why you give your vows. People watch you do it, so they're like, they did it. They're valid. The marriage is valid. That's why we have people at weddings other than nowadays, we just have it for a big party, but they, they're, they're attesting to the validity of your marriage before God. And we see that Paul uses this language where he, you know, he calls, the, you're called the groom or the bridegroom. I don't think of anyone that I ever met that calls themselves a bridegroom. So we'll just say groom. And then the bride is the bride. Okay, now what's crazy is Jesus uses the same illustration for him and his church. He is considered the groom, we are considered the bride, male or female, if you're wondering. It's the whole church. And so in the same way, Paul says the man is to be Jesus to the wife, which means he loves unconditionally, which means 100% of the time he's going 100% regardless of what he's receiving, which is an incredibly hard and lofty call if you're a man. Honestly overwhelming sometimes. And the, the woman is submitting as the church submits to Christ, following, obeying, like learning, growing, being a helpmate, all those type of things. And so what we see, though, and what is so beautiful about this that we miss in the world, and this is why I was talking about marriage being a sign and a wonder, is that I'm going to try to draw an eyeball. I tried it earlier. It was bad, so sorry if it looks bad. I don't know. Does that look creepy? Yeah. Whatever. It's an eyeball. I don't have any eyelashes. That's my problem. 
So anyways, the world, though, when they see this, the coolest and most beautiful thing about this is they actually get to experience this. That is what is so beautiful about marriage, is the world will see the way marriages in the Christian world respond, and they, and they just they, they see this. You ask yourself, if you're married, do they see that? That's your barometer. Do they see this in our marriage? And now they also, we hope they see this, right? But through this, they're able to see this. And this is, this is what we want to camp on. This is marriage. And this is, why, this is why it's such a big deal about divorce. Because at the end of the day, the scriptures is simple, but they're hard because Jesus is saying, this is, this is the most beautiful thing that we've done in, in, in history, in human history, is me dying for, for us, right? Him dying for us. This is the same representation as this. So when we just don't care about this, and we decide, you know what, my wife's just not as great as I thought she was, or my husband has some issues that I didn't know about, and he didn't share with me, and so now we're just gonna, we're gonna sever this. This is the same depth and weight as what Jesus is loving us for. So we feel the, the severity of this when he talks about it. In fact, one, uh, one commentator uses the illustration of when you're, when you're becoming one flesh, because you know, a lot of it does mean sexual, becoming one flesh. I don't need to give you a sex lesson, that's maybe another week, but becoming one flesh, you, you are not able to be separated. And the, the illustration that the best understanding they use is this idea of gluing or welding together. I don't know if we have any welders in here. I can't say I've ever tried to weld, fortunately. Um, I've probably hurt myself. But when you weld something, it's incredibly strong. And it is melted, heated together until it becomes one. There's no separation of it. In fact, you'd have to literally take a saw or like in even a hotter heat to, I think, I don't know, to get rid of it. It's extremely permanent. And so when we look at marriage, we have to realize that this is the foundation of what we're talking about here. Okay, it's not the cultural, I just want like, you know, some random person at the courthouse to sign our marriage, and then whenever we like each other, we'll be married, but whenever things get hard, we'll just abandon it, and it's no big deal. So there's three passages I want to look at. I want to go through them somewhat quickly. Uh, Matthew, if you want to write them down, we're going to go through them quickly. Matthew 5, 31, 32, which is what our focus passage is. Matthew 19, and then Deuteronomy 24. The reason why we're doing this is because we're actually killing two birds with one stone here, Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 are very similar, and so in like 20 weeks when we're on Matthew 19, we'll skip it because I'm already covering it. So two weeks down in one. Um, but Matthew 5, when you open it up, he's saying, like I said, uh, you, it, it was said, which means this is the law that you know. Whoever divorces his wife must give her a legal document. He starts off with, this is what you know, this is the culture that you understand. And what he's doing here is he's quoting Deuteronomy 21, 24. So if you go back real quick to Deuteronomy, I have it on my iPad, so I'll just read it. But if you want to go back to Deuteronomy, it's in the beginning of your Bible. This is what it says. This is the only passage, by the way, on, really on divorce. It says, if a man marries a woman and she does not please him because he has found something indecent in her, then he may drop a divorce document, give it to her, and evict her from the house. When she has left him, she may go and become someone else's wife. If the second husband, though, rejects her and then divorces her, gives her the papers and evicts her from his house... Or if the second husband who has married her dies, her first husband who divorced her is not permitted to remarry her after she has become ritually impure. For that is offensive to the Lord, and you must not bring guilt on the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Uh, a couple fun facts about this passage. This is, uh, this is the only passage in the law that speaks of divorce. Only passage. So this is all they have to go from. It does not ever tell you to get a divorce. It does not talk about the right or wrong of divorce. It doesn't even talk about the permissibility of divorce. It only talks about the aftermath of divorce. And it's clear that, clearly reveals that men must not divorce a woman only to remarry the same woman again. 
But this divorce document is the cause for disagreement. So this is what Jesus is getting at. He's talking about a divorce document here. Uh, and, and, and the other key point is, uh, your, your version might say something different, but in the NET it says, found something indecent in her. Is incredibly important. The, the phrase is ervat devar in the Hebrew, meaning the nakedness of a thing. This would typically mean indecent exposure of genitals, uh, which would typically lead to some sort of adultery or sexual misconduct. And so this was their baseline. This is what they're given in Deuteronomy. This is what happens after divorce. Because of this, this is how you handle it. Okay, and so you're probably wondering, like, what is going on with this? Like, what is a, what is the divorce document? Why does it matter? I'm going to give you the coolest crazy history lesson that you're about to get for two minutes. So at the time of this law, in the time of Jesus, actually, when, he's, when he's, Jesus was Jewish, when he was raised up in the law, there were two different rabbis, rabbinic uh, thoughts. One tribe was Halil, H-I-L-L-E-L. The other one was Shammai. And these guys disagreed on what the phrase indecency meant, what ervat devar meant. In fact, um, this is funny because, I mean, this is literally why we have 10,000 denominations. People disagree on one phrase, and then there you go, two more denominations. This is essentially what it's like. And so what happened is the Shammai was incredibly conservative, and they would only allow a certificate of divorce to be given to a woman if a witness had seen an act of infidelity take place. Think about that. I mean, a lot of times, adultery happens, nobody's seeing it. This was someone, a witness, which actually in this culture had to be a man, or I think two women, or maybe it wasn't even able to be a woman, had to, had to see it and see it to, take, to attest to it. So it was incredibly hard, incredibly hard. Uh, thus, adultery was an entire interpretation of a nakedness of a thing. However, the halil was way more progressive and loose. You could divorce your wife for anything that made you feel indecent. Now, you know where this is going. Uh, if you gained too much weight, if you didn't run the house like you wanted, uh, if you even burnt the food, talk about a high calling. Even if you didn't like him anymore, you can say, well, this woman's not as indecent as this woman is, and so I'm going to divorce this woman, and I'm going to take on this woman. Now, let me ask you the question, which one was more popular? Halil. Are you kidding me? Like, men could just be like, yeah, I don't really like her anymore, and just divorce her. And so this is written in a culture where literally the, the religious people were divorcing their wives because, I don't know, give, give you a reason, right? She burnt the lobster bisque, and then you come over here, and you're like, I really like this woman's lobster bisque. I'm going to take her. I send her away. I don't get her dowry, whatever, but I don't care, right? I take this girl. I marry her, and I decide, you know what? At the end of the day, though, I think her lobster bisque was better, and I have like nine kids with her. This is way too complex. I'm going to divorce her, and I'm going to take back this wife. This is what was happening. This is the Jewish people. You wonder how bad were the Jewish people. This is how bad they were, and you wonder how bad the American people are. Half of our marriages end in divorce, and a lot of times it's, it's because of money. And so we look at these and we like laugh, like, oh, that's crazy. I couldn't imagine that. In fact, this is still, this is, this idea of wife swapping is still practiced in parts of the Middle East today. It's more of a rare um, thing, but there's this idea that I'm just going to, I'm just going to pick and choose what interests me best. And if I feel offended, then I'm just at the end of it. Now, can you imagine how Jesus feels about that? When he's like, hey, this is, this is what I want to show you. This is what I'm dying here for. And then literally these Pharisees are just like 10%. And then they're just like, finding all these different women. I mean, I cannot imagine the frustration that would feel when he's like, hey, we gave this beautiful symbol and you're tarnishing it for soup. So we read this, and this is what Jesus is talking about, this, uh, this divorce certificate. Now, let's jump to Matthew 19. We're going to get a longer understanding of this and, and how it was, it, was, it was feeling in the culture of Jesus' day. Matthew 19, this is also correlated to Mark 10. They're the same story, if you're wondering. Um, Matthew 19, verse 1, I'm going to read it. It says, 
Now, when Jesus finished saying these things, he had left Galilee, went to a large region of Judea beyond the Jordan River, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Then some Pharisees, these are practicers of the law, came to him in order to test him. They asked, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any reason? He answered, have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and will be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. He's quoting Genesis 2. Remember the first two pages of your Bible. This is marriage. Jesus agrees with it. He attests to that being marriage. Then they said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? Jesus said to them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hard hearts, but from the beginning it was not this way. Now I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. Sound familiar? Very similar to Matthew 5, the phrase he uses. The disciples said to him, If this is the case of a husband with a wife, it is better not to marry And he said to them, not everyone can accept this statement except those to whom it has been given. This is is the thinking of the hearts of the Pharisees. They're taking what has been given and they're just like, they're just just skirting around it. I don't know if you ever did that and like, I feel like that was my my philosophy in high school. Like, how can I just skirt by this class? Just enough, just enough to get there. I don't really care if I learn anything or know anything or if I have any integrity behind my work. But I'm like, just gonna finish, you know? And what they're doing is they're taking this thing and they're just trying to just skirt around the edges, just like barely skirt around it. And, and what's happening is, that, that's what I said, they said Moses commanded it. It was like, Moses said we had to do this. This is, give a certificate of divorce and to divorce her. And she says, no, 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 no. He permitted you because you have hard hearts and you're, you're terrible people, my commentary. He, he's saying like this certificate of divorce was never from the beginning. It was not God instituted. Um, the, the reason for a certificate of divorce culturally, if you're wondering, it was, it was given to protect the woman's rights. This time, it was a heavy patriarchal society, and so this was providing evidence of her freedom, ensuring that her husband could, one, not claim her dowry, but two, that other men wouldn't see her as, um, you know, prostitute or unclean or promiscuous, that she was given attesting to her divorce being valid. She wasn't just running away from her husband or whatever that may be. And so uh, this allowed the woman to re- remarry again and not be shamed as an adulterer or leaving her husband, which, if that was the case, could um, be really difficult. And Moses saw the destruction of the divorce, and so they followed Deuteronomy 24 to protect women for ridiculous reasons to divorce and the ramifications that it would cause. So we kind of, you're starting to like feel the culture a little bit now. It feels a little more home, a little bit. The, what we're dealing with here is, is, it's not like it's unrealistic for today, but we're dealing with people who ultimately are selfish and are not submitting to this covenant that we are modeling as followers of Jesus. That's like the baseline of it. And so Jesus is dealing with this right now, and he changes it from commanded to permitted. And I think the best phrase to describe this is the, the, the justifying of your own intentions does not allow you to escape the Lord's intentions. You can feel good about what, you can try to justify what you think is best, your own intentions. This is a little like Pharisee 101, how to like do the law but also not do it or have any heart behind it. And we've seen this before. We know, I mean, we're literally all guilty of this. There's things in our lives where we're like, yeah, 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 I'm being faithful, but like you're just skirting around it and then you're trying to justify it in your head so that you don't feel bad. This is why in our core groups, our small groups that we have, of, um, they're in pretty intensive, but we, do, we practice confession 
Because the second that you, you, you vocalize the sin, you, you vocalize the situation, you can't play games in your head anymore. Because other people get to see it, hear it, respond it, feel it, and pray with you over it. And so confession is a big deal because otherwise you're playing games in your mind. And they're just playing this whole, well, everyone else does it. And so Moses commanded it. They just want to do whatever they want to do. We just take the scriptures and we want it to mean whatever we want it to mean. So we look at this. This is them breaking up what God had created. And so I want to say this, but I want to add a, an additional statement to it before you get nervous. God hates divorce. He absolutely does. There's no question about it. God hates divorce. But that does not mean that he hates the divorcee. There's a distinction there. God hates divorce because man, man, humanity, is taking what he has orchestrated and severing it. But that does not mean that you are ever too far from the grace of God. If that were the case with any of these other things Jesus are talking about, we'd be in deep trouble. The last one, last week was on sexual desire. Can you imagine? We, we commit lust is equal to adultery. Can you imagine? God hates adultery. He hates uh, lust. But he still loves the, the luster, lusty. And so Jesus' quote is not necessarily, like he's, he's, not, he's not saying anything contrary to what they probably would have known, but, but he's reminding us the weight of what we're doing and, and the humanity destruction behind uh, marriage. And so I want to pull up um, verse 32. This is the, the second verse. This, this verse is so similar to Matthew 19.9. The only difference is 32 adds um, a few, few words. So I'll read verse 32 says, But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for immor- immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And in fact, if you're wondering, this is all about men. What about women? If you read Mark, he's, he's writing to Gentiles, and so he includes men and women. It's much, so we can assume that Jesus is not just talking about men divorcing women. In fact, in the Gentile culture, it was much more normal for women to divorce men as well. In the Jewish culture, it wasn't. So if you're wondering, no, women, you can't get away with it. If you want to divorce your man, it's the same, th- same thing. But the important word here is pornonia, which is immorality, which is what everybody fights over. What does it actually mean? Uh, and it, the, it refers back to the Levitical law. It can mean fornication, adultery, lust, rape, all these type of things, sexual um, issues. I would say it, you know, it could apply to anyone who's married, who isn't married, um, but the best understanding is just sexual unfaithfulness. And because uh, he says, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And so it would appear at first glance, in fact, I've had people tell me this, it would appear at first glance that anyone who marries a divorced woman for any reason is committing adultery. That's what it would appear is reading here. And this is why we, we are reading three different passages, because a fundamental rule of understanding the Bible is interpreting Scripture with Scripture, meaning you don't just read one verse and say, well, that's, that's the way it is. But if there's any contradiction in it, you find the passages in the Bible that, that are speaking similar to that, that issue. And so Jesus mentions divorce like three different times. So we have to know that what he's saying would be consistent. And so in Matthew 19, you get more, uh, more depth to it. And so what he's saying here is that if you're a man and you divorce your wife for just whatever, she burns the lobster bisque and you send her away and then you go marry another woman, you are committing adultery with your previous wife because you did not sever the marriage covenant because you, you, you just were selfish at the end of the day. And you're making her, by, doing, by, by, by divorcing her, she's probably going to get remarried because it's a culture where you wouldn't really survive as a single woman. It was very rare and very hard. She's going to get remarried with a divorce certificate, but you are making her commit adultery as well because, once again, the marriage covenant has not severed. And we see this, this beautifully in uh, the story of Hosea and Gomer I talked about last week where 
Hosea is called to marry a prostitute. She keeps cheating on him, and he keeps having to buy her back. And like her adultery is not just her own thing. It's affecting Hosea's relationship together. And so what we see is, 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 is the way we look at this is really in a way it looks and appears, and this is actually pretty controversial, so this is what I have gathered through several commentaries, is that it would seem that the very act of adultery destroys the oneness relationship of marriage and what God has put together. And so it seems true because the consummation of becoming one is done through sex, which is why sex is only in marriage. Um, therefore, when you commit adultery, you're doing that with someone else. You are, you are destroying the oneness that you are, you're attaching to someone else. And so this is why Jesus' condemnation of poor Denise says, uh, anyone who commits a divorce other than immorality, he's giving this caveat, not as an expectation, but as an exception because of the weight of sexual sin in our marriages, in our life. And this, when you, when you read this, what I think about this is I think, wow, sex is a big deal. That's what I think about. Th- th- that is like, and this is probably detailed, but sex is great in so many ways, and it's great in so many ways because it's a fruit of understanding and seeing the love and intimacy of Jesus and his church. Now you're like, this is getting weird, Trey. Jesus doesn't have sex with his church. But, listen, this is why God creates it as a, as a symbol of understanding the intimacy of his love for us. And so it's such a big deal that when you're married, this is why you, you, you get to have sex and lean into this is because it's building the one fleshness and, and doing that with someone else is severing that beautiful thing that God has put together for one. So hopefully that gives you a little bit of clarity, but I mean, for me, it's like, wow, sex is a big deal. Whether you're married or not, even when you're married, it's a big deal. So as we kind of get towards the end here, you know, I like to ask myself when I read these, why does Jesus care so much about this? I think that's where we get to the heart of Jesus, right? We think, why, why does he care so much about this? Why is he saying this? Why is he saying these six things? Why is he bringing these up? He just encouraged a bunch of people, check out my kingdom, it's for you. And they're like, yes. And he's like, wait, here's the things that this kingdom does not do. We don't tolerate. And he gives you this uh, adultery, divorce, anger, murder, all that. And like I said, I think that at the end of the day, we actually want Jesus to care about this. In fact, we want him to hate it because by him hating it, it shows us the love and the security and the trust and the sacrifice that he has put on this relationship. Imagine if you follow Jesus, and in the Bible it said somewhere, um, actually, there's like a 50% chance Jesus is just going to bail on you. So hope, hope you go to heaven, maybe not. Imagine if that was the case. Like, what a nightmare. We follow Jesus, like, yeah, I believe in you, and you're like, you're going to maybe save me. We'll see. That would be terrible. Imagine if when you get married, you say all these vows, and you don't really mean them. In sickness and health, well, depends on what kind of sickness. I mean, I mean, if you're handicapped, I don't know. Like, or if you get dementia or Alzheimer's, like, I don't know. It might be better for you to just get some help and me just do my own thing. Like, imagine if that was the weight on your wedding day. Yeah, I'll, I'll marry you, um, but not, you know, if, if you ever struggle with pornography, like, we're done. Or, yeah, I'll marry you, but, like, if you ever break your hand and you can't work the job that you're making the money you are now, then, like, I'm going to find someone else. Imagine the insecurity that you feel as the other person in that relationship. I wouldn't marry him. I don't know about you. And so Jesus is saying, this, this is why I care about this, because I don't want you for a second to ever think that the relationship between me and my church will ever be severed. And so if, you're, if the world is going to see my love and our, the church through you, what you guys do as a married couple, then you better take it serious. And we're going to have no room for that in the kingdom. And, and so at the end of the day, it's a hard passage, but it, it needs to be hard. It's, it's actually beautifully hard. 
So what does this mean for today? Here's a couple like practical points for those of you who love to do steps. Here's some, some, uh, some, some notes. Uh, marriage is God's creation and no person should ever separate this. Separation of God's intention is against his design and rooted in sin. God hates divorce, as should his followers, but we're called to still love the divorcee and not hate them or judge them. When you commit adultery or lust, as Jesus just said earlier, you're destroying, you're tarnishing and destroying the one flesh union that you have with your spouse. And adultery, um, according to Jesus, is the only thing capable of destroying this one flesh unit. Same as sex in, uh, in the consummation of marriage is the one flesh unit creation. So practically speaking, um, you know, we're like, okay, where does, this, where does this hit me? The root of marriage and the beauty that we see is the root of marriage is self-giving love. It really is. The, the, Jesus is calling us to not just say, does that mean I need to be miserable with my spouse for the rest of my life, right? Uh, or I need to get divorced. Like, those are your two options, right? I'm either miserable and I just, like, deal with this sinner for the rest of my life, or we get divorced. That is not, like, he's basically blowing those both out. He's like, no, no, no. Like, what did I do for you? What did Hosea do for Gomer? Continually pursued, 100%. Imagine if men would just commit 100% to their wives, no matter what. Imagine that. No expectation in return. 100%, I'm going to love you selflessly. I'm going to take, I'm going to prioritize you over myself. Imagine what that would do for the wife. Don't think about, don't think about what you get. Just think about for them. Because I think Jesus does this, and it's pretty amazing. Now imagine if the wife did the exact same thing in return. It's a beautiful thing. And so we can't forget that marriage is always rooted in both parties. It's not 50-50. It's not sometimes 60-40. It's, it's 100%. It's both people giving selflessly 100%. And so if, you're, if, 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 you're ever, if you are contemplating or ever contemplating divorce, do not lose hope. Read, read, uh, read Hosea and don't lose hope that no marriage is outside of God's reach and he can and will do work. And there is a tension in these scriptures. I feel like I need to say this as a caveat because I think it's important. There is a tension in these scriptures that seems to leave out abuse. You know, people have questions. Well, back then it was kind of different in terms of what you get away with abuse-wise. Abuse is a serious issue uh, and it must be addressed. And so if, you, if there's any point of abuse in your marriage, find safety. Do not, do not use this as a means to stay currently in, in that relationship. It doesn't mean that I'm saying just go get a divorce immediately, but I'm saying get yourself out of the situation. Do not stay and be battered because this passage is not specifically saying, or if abused. You'd be surprised at how many women have been continually abused because this passage only says immorality, and so they stay in this relationship. And so get yourself out of it to get some clarity and tell some, someone. Um, if you are currently committing adultery or lusting or sexual desire that is against God's intentions, you're sexually unfaithful, Currently on your spouse, number one, you need to come clean because you're destroying something that God put together. You need to find accountability and tell your spouse. Uh, or on your potential future spouse, if you may be married, you don't know. Whether you're engaged or not or single or whatever, you don't know if you have a potential future spouse. Uh, you are single, dating, engaged, not married. You are destroying and perverting God's beautiful intention, regardless. And this doesn't just mean sexual intercourse, right? People are like, I can do, we can do things. No, you can't. And in Jesus' initial blessing, I think, that to, to these people that are listening is to mourn over their sins. So that, that's the baseline. You say, well, how do we know if this is wrong? Like, well, if you, read, if you read the text and you understand what you're doing is wrong and you don't mourn over it, you don't care, that's a problem. If your partner doesn't mourn over it or care, that's a problem. If only one of you mourns over your sin and understands the weight of it, you're, you're, in, a, you're in a huge problem. You both, 
need to see the weight of this and mourn over your sin. It, plus, I mean, it's funny, like, people want to do this, and then they say, well, we want God to bless our ma- marriage. I'm like, how is God going to bless your marriage when you're already just severing what he will give you? So both mourning over that, in fact, that's why Matthew 19.10, it says, and this is like the funniest phrase, I think this is the disciples where like they just didn't have a filter and they just recorded it. Like, well, if that's the case, then it's better not to marry. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's the truth. I think they understood the weight of this and we should understand the weight of this. Marriage is hard and it's rooted in self-giving love and reconciliation. And so uh, I, wanna, I wanna kinda close with this as we invite Brandon and um, Justin back up. I want to close with this story. Uh, this is in John 8. It's a really common story, but I think it gives us a really healthy understanding and depiction of, of the weight of sin and how Jesus sees us in our sin. This is in John 8, and it's a story about a woman caught in adultery. I'm just going to read it. As this woman, she was been tricked into adultery. Uh, they purposely set her up to catch her, and then they, they let the man go because technically in the law, both of them would be killed. Well, I would be killed, both of them, parties. And so they let the man leave because they tricked this woman. They take this woman to Jesus. He's in the temple. And they say to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. They say in the law, once again, this is funny, Moses commanded us to stone to death such women. What then do you say? Now when they were asking this in an attempt to trap him so that they could bring charges against him, Jesus bent down and he wrote on the ground with his finger. And when they persisted in asking him, he stood up straight and he replied, Whoever among you is guiltless may be the first to throw a stone at her. Then, they, then he bent down over, bent over again and wrote on the ground. And now when they heard this, they began to drift away one at a time, starting with the older ones until Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up to her and said, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? Now imagine this. You're, you're standing there. All these Pharisees who have been wife swapping, Jesus calls them all out, right? He's like, oh, go ahead. Yeah, you and your four wives, go ahead, stone her. You like tricked her and you've had five wives because she didn't make the great soup or keep your house right. You go ahead and stone her because you're, you're not guilty at all. And that's why it says the oldest from the youngest, right? The oldest, the oldest are the, the wisdom that we receive in being old is we're aware of how much we sin. Young people think they're bulletproof, but the older leave, the younger leave, and all that's left is her looking before Jesus and he asks you, woman, where are they? His, his presence and power draws away any condemnation from the people around her. And she says, no one, Lord, no one condemns me. And here's, what, here's what's beautiful, is Jesus has the right to throw the stone. He has the right to condemn her. And he says, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. For many of us, whether it's divorce, whether it's adultery, lust, you name it, we are guilty of sin, and we very rarely realize the weight of it. And even if, if not, we typically cast stones on other people. And Jesus is saying, I'll have none of that, and I'll have none of, no condemnation. There are no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so we're going to give you a time to just reflect and to kind of to, to eat this, if you will, to like stir upon it. And uh, so there's a couple different things you can do. We have people that want to pray for you in the back about anything and everything, and we believe in the power of prayer. We also have uh, bread and cup, which is in the back. If you didn't grab one, it's a little cup. If you follow Jesus, you can take that, and uh, that is just a reminder of his sacrifice for us, whether we're married, whether we're not, whether, whether we are sinning in adultery or divorce or lust or whatever it may be, uh, that he's, he's removed that sacrifice, that he's done that completely on his own for us. Um, and then we're going to have just a little bit of time, and then uh, we're going to sing one more song, one more song together.
Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.